goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It is the day after the primaries, of course. Winners, losers, and all of that. Also joining us today on Boston Early's Rush Hour, former press secretary, White House press secretary, Ari Fleischer. He has a new book out. I'd like to talk with Ari about it. Glad he's going to be with us. Telephone numbers if you want to be part of today's program. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let's begin with Paul Pelosi. You all know the story there, another sham two-tier justice system. Uh, Supposedly, his uh, plea agreement with his drunk driving case is going to get him five days in jail. As it turns out, it's really nothing. He already served two days when he was arrested. He gets another two days for good behavior or something of this sort. And then the other day, instead of actually going to jail, they've diverted him to some sort of, he works eight hours outside the jail doing some community service crap. And then he's done. He's going to pay a few dollars, about $2,000 in fine, three years on probation, blah, 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 has to have uh, a device put in his car. Well, the car is wrecked, so I suppose it'll be uh, the new car. But what's to stop him from buying other cars that don't have it in there? Scripted injustice. That's what DUI attorney Brian Claypool calls it. The story today in BizPack Review. The plea deal was an entire pretext. It's a ruse to show the public that they're not in cahoots. But it's just that, a ruse. There is a two-tier justice system in America. We know that. All right. Carolyn Maloney lost. Jerry Natalie spanked her. Well, that's an ugly thought. Let's. Jerry Nadler beat her. No, that's. Jerry Natalie won. And won convincingly. 55.4% of the vote. Compared to Kathleen Maloney's 24.4% of the vote, that's 99% reporting. Maloney tried to make a big deal that he was senile. She cited uh, Nadler's reference to impeaching George W. Bush twice. Pelosi, Nancy this time, released a statement acknowledging Carolyn Maloney's contribution over the years. 30 years she's been around, 15 terms. Pelosi seems very happy with the outcome. Congratulations to Chairman Jerry Nadler on prevailing. For three decades in the House, he's been a commanding force for freedom and justice. (laughs) That's a lot of bull. His leadership has been essential to advancing many of our key priorities. In other words, he's an accomplice. One of the other races that people were looking at, uh, we were looking at on this show, Malia Kokos, she won. 
and won handsomely, 78% of the vote, something like that. So despite her being one of the Republicans who handed Joe Biden the lifeline by voting for that phony infrastructure deal, the voters didn't seem in Staten Island to mind too much. She's back in handily. New York wasn't the only place that had primaries yesterday. Oh, Paladino lost. Carl Paladino, whose statements over the years have been outright disgusting, some of his statements, including some of the ones recently. He lost. I'm not sorry about that at all. So did Modenaire, or however you pronounce his name, Modenaire, Modenari Jones. He was, uh, they, they kind of wiped him out of his district, so he ran in another district. And uh, he lost. This guy was New York City. He, I saw some of his house speeches, just pure hateful toward Republicans, toward Trump. And it turns out this guy spent a lot of his time overseas partying, voting by proxy, while not bothering to show up for work in Washington, D.C. Well, now he doesn't have to worry about it because he won't be coming back after January. Nicole Malatokis, 78.5% of the vote. John Matlin, 21.5%. She pulled it off. Down in Florida, welcome news that the New York Times and others don't like. Dateline Miami, or Yorami. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida was not on the ballot in Tuesday's primary, neither was any other big-name Republican. Well, mucko. But Republican voters appear to have gone to the polls anyway, in part to weigh in on an unusual new political battleground school board races, Mr. DeSantis, like other Republicans across the country, centered his political brand on education issues related to the coronavirus pandemic and to what is taught in schools. Before the primary, he did something no previous Florida governor had ever done. He took sides in nonpartisan School board races. That word nonpartisan, boy, that's such a misnomer. It worked. That's what the New York Times says. Almost all the candidates Mr. DeSantis endorsed won. Unofficial county election results showed. The candidates' victories are expected to inject conservative priorities into county-level boards that haven't drawn heightened public scrutiny in recent years, beginning with school closures, mass mandates, and extending to how educators handle matters of gender gender identity and race. Good. Good. 
There were two special elections. Democrats won one of them in Congress back to New York. And, of course, Democrats are now using that to say, uh-oh, we told you. We told you. We told you. It's not going to be a big red wave. It's not going to be a red wave. We told you. We told you. So this is the the deal. Democrats now believe that the abortion issues will turn the red wave away from them. New York Times, just listen to this sentence. Two months after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the matter of abortion, it writes, is helping Democrats close what had been a devastating, devastating election gap. Joe Simpolinski, local Republican Party leader, former congressional aide, won a special election on Tuesday for a vacant house race in western New York, according to the AP. Race surprisingly close. That race in the short term is going to help tighten the Democrats' already narrow margin in the House. And we'll see. Now, this guy that won the special election is not going to run again, but it is a heavy Republican district. So that seat's going to come up again in November. And we shall see. There are some polls today about Joe Biden handing the new handout. You all, I heard Rudy talking about it, as you did, handing out $300 billion today giveaway to help students with their student debts. Now, I know some people very much in support of having a little bit of assistance in their student debt, but obviously, obviously, This is trying to buy votes. And obviously, there are a lot of other people who are in debt who will never have the government come and say, oh, here, take some money. Your debt is forgiven, which begs to the quote-unquote fairness of this. Anyway, we're going to head to the break a little bit early. Ari Fleisch is supposed to be joining us in mere moments. We'll talk with him about his new book, Media, and his deals with media bias. We're going to take a lot of your phone calls today, is the plan. So if you'd like to talk about whatever it is, the student loan handout, the latest welfare gift to certain Americans, taxpayers now expected to fork over another $300 billion to help just a small fraction of people in the country. Who's going to pay off your debts? Anybody? And there's other news about student debts. There's other news about the political fallout from yesterday. Whatever you want to talk about, 800-848-WABC. Oh, we're giving away tickets again today, too. We'll do that later in the show. So, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. Coming right back. Oh, son of a bitch. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yesterday we played Chaka's version of this. That was the original. The voice you're hearing right now, that of Whitney Houston. Who, by the way, don't know whether you know this when she was a teenager uh, Whitney sang background for Chaka 
WABC Talk Radio 77. Crown Jewel of American Radio. Remember, Catch at Night comes up next after Bo Snurley's Rush Hour here. We are so pleased to be joined by Ari Fleischer. Now, those of you who remember the Bush years, Bush 43, will remember Ari's brilliant performances every day, it seems, with a sometimes very hostile and very biased press. Ari has a new book out. You can find it wherever fine books are sold. It's called Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, Why the Press Gets So Much Wrong and Just Doesn't Care. Ari, welcome. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me on the show. It is such a pleasure. Now, Ari, you know what? Reading your book just took me back, um, reading through it. I haven't finished it yet at all. I've still got a ways to go. But what I've read already is just, it, it, it's, it triggered me. Because some of the things that you are, you, you're, you're saying in this book remind me of things that Rush talked about for many, many years. The way that yep. our press corps would mock half the country show disdain for the people that make that make America work. Why did you write this book and what can you tell listeners about it? Conser- you point out that conservatives and independents realize full well the bias in what they're seeing from these so-called journalists, these these professionals. Why did you write this book? I wrote it because I got fed up. I was fed up reading the news, watching the news, and realizing how reporters have turned themselves into activists, activists for a cause. And the cause really was to get Donald Trump. They made the decision, reporters did, that Donald Trump was a threat to the republic, and they abandoned their mission, which is to tell the news straight, fair, objectively, and tell the truth so we, the people, can make our own decisions. And instead, they tilted the playing field, they put their hand on the scale, they put their whole bodies on the scale to twist the news, to deceive the public, suppress news, to help Joe Biden hurt Donald Trump. And I blew the whistle. I'm reading today, but, but okay, so many of us that, that, that lived through the last 30, 40 years say this isn't anything new. They've been doing this all along. This is, they abandoned the idea of good journalism, the when, 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 where, what, why, and all that business. They abandoned that a long time ago. Would you agree with that? Or is this, what they did with Trump just took it to a level I think that we hadn't seen it before. That's the issue. They've always been biased. They have always been liberal. The story selection has always been liberal. But ostensibly, they knew their job was still to tell the news straight. That's at least what they said. They've now abandoned even trying to tell the news straight. They made the editorial decision. You can see it in the New York Times. You can see it at CNN. I have chapters about each in my book. Example after example where if a Democrat does something, they went soft on them. If Trump did it or a Republican did it, they went hard after them for doing the same thing. And it really became a question of the steel dossier, collusion, things that were false, things that were deceptive. But it went so much beyond that. And it also went beyond ideology. It became cultural. One of the things I found in my book, there's a study I found and I put in the book, the only group of Americans who think that the press understands them are college-educated Democrats. 
Wow. If, if, if you're a Democrat with a high school diploma only, you say the press doesn't understand you. An independent college degree or high school diploma, they don't understand you. Republicans, they don't understand you. The only group left that thinks the press understands them are college-educated Democrats. The press culturally has become a group of college-educated Democratic journalists, Democratic voters, who report news for fellow college-educated Democrats. That's the media today. When you look at what's happening over at CNN, CNN's new boss who came over from CBS, had a background at CBS, says, okay, I want to change things, et cetera, et cetera. The L.A. Times, this, within the last two weeks, ran an article, an op-ed, actually, why their efforts to appease democracy's enemies will backfire. <laughs> and by appeasing democracy's enemies, that would be us. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why that's going to backfire? If you look and you, you look at other, uh, Eric Wimp- Wimple in uh, the Washington Post today, what does Brian Stelter's ouster from CNN have to do with Fox News? Everything. So now it's Fox News at fault again. It's why appease their enemies. They look at CNN and they are upset of any idea that CNN should change from what they're doing. Do you think that, do you expect anything at CNN to be really different? Well, if I'm CNN, I, I, you need to need to rip the Band-Aid off that place. Get on with it. They are going in slow motion if they're making changes. And you don't do it one obscure journalist at a time. You change the place if you're going to change the place and return back to objective, neutral reporting. And they're not doing that yet. I think it's a fascinating experiment, Bo. I really want to see what they do. and But they need to get on with it if they really want to return to objective news, not be MSNBC, but just tell the news straight. And I don't know what's taking them so long. CNN was in many ways the worst. I have example after example of White House reporters, White House correspondents, daytime anchors, daytime reporters, letting their opinions rip on the air for CNN. And their opinions, of course, were always liberal, anti-Trump, anti-populist, anti-conservative. And they were encouraged to put their opinions on the air instead of reporting news objectively. So CNN's got a long way to go if they want to be seen as fair, and um, they should just get on with it. Well, even after Chris Licht came out and said, we're going to change, Don Lemon went out and just pretty much said, look, Republicans are still the enemy, and we don't, and the time is over for reporting fairly. These people don't deserve fair reporting. What We have to report on them because they're a threat to democracy. This is yeah. what the line is, this narrative that, that democracy is being threatened. This is, if you look at at the talking points that Democrat Party is using, this is the the, the main talking point going into the elections. That and, of course, the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, that democracy is threatened by Republicans. So I look at this as kind of Don Lemming putting up his middle finger toward his new boss, and I wonder why is he still there? Well, that's a great point. Don Lemon's one of the bigger problems at at CNN and has been for quite a while. But... Anytime one of your listeners hears a Democrat or the media say threat to democracy, what they need to understand is what that really means is a Democrat might lose an election fair and square. Uh And if the Democrat loses an election fair and square, that's a threat to democracy. That's what that means. Our democracy is healthy. Our democracy is thriving. 
turnout is exceeding historical levels. People are engaged. And but you know what they don't like? They don't like the fact that Republicans are winning. They don't like the fact that there's a populist movement out there that has caught fire, that Hispanic Americans are changing party and becoming increasingly Republican because of a reaction to the ridiculous wokeness of the Democratic Party. But every time they think they're going to lose an election, they blow the whistle and scream like Chicken Little, democracy is falling. It ain't falling. It's healthy. It's good. It's strong. It's just that conservatives and populists are winning. Look, Ari, you worked with these people. You worked with these people for years. You know some of them. <laughs> yep. And 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 presumably, I I don't know whether you were on speaking terms with any of them or not. I, why is it impossible for them to see anything other than what they see? They're in the news business. They see stories that they don't report, or they must, unless they don't even bother reading any other sources but their own. You work with these people. Explain them to us. Great question. You know, the first chapter in my book is called Original Sin. And I call it that because the biggest problem reporters have is who becomes a reporter in the first place. And overwhelmingly, people who apply to journalism school and are produced by journalism schools and fill up newsrooms, particularly in the cities, are all cut from the same cloth. They are all obviously college educated, Democratic voters, largely liberal. They tweet alike. They think alike. They drink alike. They act alike. And they vote alike. You know, I hired an opposition research company to pull the public records, the voter registration records of the 49 reporters who sit in the 49 seats in the White House. And they found by a 12 to 1 ratio, it's Democrat to Republican. 12 to 1. Why isn't it 1 to 1? Why isn't that room that's the pinnacle of journalism fair, but 12 to 1? Can you imagine both it was 12 to 1 Republicans to Democrat? No, no, no. (laughs) Right. The news would be different. Everything we're told would be different. But they are so similar. And it's just self-selection. It's who goes into journalism schools and who fills newsrooms and who's an editor. And they're all so like-minded. And it's why they put so many mistakes on the air. It's why they thought any story that was an anti-Trump story was a good story, even if it was a false story. And then they embarrassingly had to retract so many of their stories. But it's because they all think so much similarly that Trump, if we just keep putting things on the air that are anti-Trump, one of them one day will turn out to be true. And this is what I decry, because I want truth. I want objectivity. I want fairness in journalism. If Trump did something wrong, we all need to know it. But stop making things up. Stop putting anything on the air because an anonymous source told you that. Be accurate. And that's where journalism has gone off the rails. Sadly, that's where we have to leave it for today. Time constraints. But I would love to have you back in the future. I want to talk to you about polling. You mentioned that. And I just... The more I learn about polling and the more polling is manipulated, the least, the less I trust it. So anyway, I'll be happy to come back and have that conversation, too. Okay, Ari Fleischer, ladies and gentlemen, the book Suppression, Deception, Snobbery and Bias. You can go to the usual places if you want it. Uh, Where else can people find the book if they don't want to go to Amazon? A lot of people have an Amazon bias. Where can people find it, Ari? Barnes and Noble, and a lot of the independent bookstores, bookstores everywhere. Uh, online, you can get it as well. Uh, you just put, put in that name, Suppression, Deception, Snobbery, and Bias, and it'll come up. 
Thank you so much. Harry Fleischer, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back. Post Nervous Rush Hour coming back to you right after this. This is The Rush Hour with Bo Snerdly. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yeah, like animals. <clears throat> I could do a whole riff on that. But somebody wouldn't like it because it would be not woke enough. WABC Talk Radio 77. Listen, folks. Stupid For all of you. Van Morrison fans out there, this is your moment. We're giving away tickets. And we're going to be doing this tomorrow. We're going to be doing this Friday. But right now, this moment, we're giving away tickets to the Van Morrison Show, Saturday, September 10th at Forest Hill Stadium. Here's how you get your tickets, or you can make an attempt to get your tickets. B, the seventh caller right now, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC. If you are indeed the seventh caller, you will win a pair of tickets. Van Morrison live at Forest Hill Stadium. Special guest, Tom Jones. Saturday, September 10th. Be the seventh caller right now. 800-848-9222. You'll get a pair of tickets. And for those of you who don't win the tickets, you still want to see Van Morrison live at Forest Hill Stadium, you can buy tickets. AXS.com is where you purchase those tickets. The letters AXS.com, and you can purchase tickets for this performance, Forest Hill Stadium, September 10th. We got a winner already. Chuck won. You know who else won? In a way, no, I just got through saying that polls are, are, some polls are not trustworthy. And I mean some. We do our own poll here. And you, know, you haven't heard much about it because I don't talk about it much. But we're going to start talking it up when it comes out. That's the golden TIPP poll. We have teamed, this show has teamed with the most accurate pollster in America. That was accurate in the last five presidential cycles. And we do our own polling here. We do it sporadically. Maybe once a month we'll do one poll. And we're going to start talking about the results of that when it comes out. The TIPP poll, that's Technometrica Institute for Public Policy. And I promise you, I promise you, we don't fudge with the numbers. We don't fudge with the methodology. Those polls are accurate. But the polls that I question are the polls like this. And I'm not saying not accurate. I'm saying I question it. Today there is a poll out that says a recent national poll conducted by progressive think tank data, data for progress, says that 60% of 1,425 respondents agreed 
that the federal government should eliminate all or some student loan debt for every single borrower. Now, I don't believe that 60% of Americans actually think that the government ought to be paying off student loan debts for everybody. I don't believe it. I believe somebody, knowing what they're doing, arranged the right people to ask, meaning the right sample base, so that they could come up with these results. Hence, that's why the poll comes today. It's a coordinated effort. You never notice this when Democrats come up with some program that spends your money. All of a sudden, the same polls come out, oh, yeah, everybody agrees with this. Whenever Democrats have a piece of legislation they're trying to push through, the polls just seem to automatically come out the same time. Oh, yeah, Americans favor this by wide margins. And I am just suspect because I've learned and I know how easy it is to manipulate polls. Polls can be made to say everything if the people doing the poll don't have integrity. And if the people doing the poll don't have an interest in telling the truth. One of the reasons that I chose TIPP to partner with is because they don't do that. The truth is the truth, and that's what they're after, the truth. They're not after an ideological position. They want to know what people genuinely think about certain issues. Now, again, I am not saying that this particular poll is rigged. I'm saying I'm skeptical of it. That's all I'm saying. Here's another bit of news that made me just, I don't know, in a way laugh, in a way shake my head. California has begun, or they're, they're about to begin uh, tomorrow, if this starts. They're about to implement what will become their ban on selling gasoline-powered cars. As of tomorrow, 35% of the new passenger vehicles that are sold in California have to be electric cars. 35% of the new passenger vehicles sold in the state by 2026 have to have zero emissions. By 2030, 68% of the cars that will be sold in California have to be zero emission cars. And then five years later, 2035, 100% of the cars that will be sold in California have to be zero emission. Now, I want to know how they're going to keep their power grid up to power up all these cars. How are they going to do this? How are they going to find enough electric power to make sure that all of these cars that people will be forced to buy have enough juice to get people from to to fro? How are they going to do it? What are what what powers electricity, folks? Liberals don't want to say this aloud. But so far, all of the schemes that they have, these sustainable energy schemes like windmills and wind tunnels and those wind things that chop up birds into little bits, or their solar panel arrays that fly birds when that fry them when they fly directly over it. There's not enough power 
to sustain civilization from those windmills, from the wind towers. I mean, they're great at killing birds, but they don't produce enough energy. They do not produce enough energy to sustain our current lifestyle, let alone a lifestyle that will be forced to accommodate more electric vehicles. Horrible. I don't know how they're going to do this, pull this off. And, you know, liberals always do things, and then when they get to the point that some unforeseen consequence overtakes their plans, they never come back and say we were wrong. This is a disaster waiting to happen. California already is trying to figure out how they're going to have enough water. In many cases in the state, they are running out of water. And now, now they're going to put more emphasis on electric cars and force people in that state, force them into buying electric cars. They just never stop these people. Here's what we're going to do. Take a break. Coming back. We've got so many calls. We're going to start taking your calls. People want to weigh in on the elections yesterday. People want to weigh in on these student loans. And they still want to talk about the raid down at Mar-a-Lago and so many other things. So we'll do that. 848-WABC is that number. 800-848-9222. Both Nerdy's Rush Hour, and we're coming back right after this. Our country is in serious trouble. WABC Traffic and Transit. In Edison, stop and go on 287 northbound after exit 1, Route 1, New Durham Road, County Road 501 down there. In Harrison, also stop and go, I-280 westbound between Bergen Street and exit 14. Let's head out to uh, Short Hills, Essex County, stop and go, Route 24 northbound, and Route 24, excuse me, New Jersey eastbound between exit 9 and I-78 and the express lanes. Checking the bridges and tunnels, GWB inbound, upper okay, lower fine, outbound heavy, Lincoln inbound, 5 to 10. No problems or major problems, I should say, on the subways or the rails. All inside parking rules in effect for today. And I'm Bob Brown with your 77. Yes, I'm here. How's that screen of yours doing, Bob? <laughs> Harris, let's go to Harrison's doing fine, by the way. Stop and go. I-280 westbound between Bergen Street and exit 14. Harrison did not go away on me, so I guess it's doing <laughs> fine. You cra- I have to tell you, I was telling the guys in the studio, mm-hmm. you cracked me up with your imitation of the uh, liberals saying, you see, I told you it's not going to be any red wave. This <laughs> <just> cracks me up. The way you do it is it's just funny. I want to know something from you, Bob. I want to know your predictions. And I mean, based on on your journalistic research, when this congestion, no, I'm serious, when this congestion plan Mm -hmm. is implemented in New York, Mm -hmm. do you think that this has any chance of being pulled off smoothly? Or will this be mass confusion? People trying to get into Manhattan and realizing they're going to have to pay a lot more money if they want to go below you know, if they want to enter into the Midtown Zone. The first one, again, before, I got the mass confusion on the ladder. What was the first one? This congestion plan that they're yeah. talking about doing. Yes. 
Is it going to just be smooth? Is everybody just going to say, okay, you know, or is this going to be mass confusion? I think there'll be a little confusion, but once they say, okay, that's going to be it and it will work. But however, uh, lawmakers in New Jersey and Long Island, excuse me, yeah, and Long Island, they are going to be launching lawsuits. I'm telling you that now, so that's going to be a problem. Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. This is what organizing looks like. Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. No fighting. No fighting. No fighting. Shakira, Shakira. I don't really know that she can dance like this. She make a man want to speak Spanish. Como se llama? Bonita. That's right. Rock in your car. WABC Talk Radio 77. Most rush hour here on WABC. Look, I have to do a sad story, and I'm so sorry to do it after this beautiful introduction with the music itself. But I have to do this. Look, the other day I talked about a young woman from Guatemala who was brought here, trafficked here, placed in a family that told United States authorities they were her family. They were not. This 10-year-old girl was repeatedly raped by four members of that so-called family. Her mouth was cut open with a knife when she made a meal that somebody didn't like. She was beaten, subject to all kind of abuse. And as I pointed out, this is this young girl, this 10-year-old girl, is her her life has been harmed by the Biden administration. The Biden administration is complicit in what has happened to this girl. There's a story today in the Daily Mail. A five-year-old girl from Guatemala dreams of helping her older brother who suffers from cerebral palsy drowned after she and her mom were trying to cross the Rio Grande trying to get into the United States. Margaret Sofia Garcia, crossing the river when a strong current ripped her from the arms of her mother, swept her away downstream. The mother was bringing her into the United States for a better life. What may surprise you is that Mar- Margaret Sofia Garcia became the fourth child to die, crossing the Rio Grande during a 20 Four hour period. That's according to Univision Noticias. This is happening every day, but you don't see it reported in, in, in on the mainstream news here because it's not the news that they want to project. So far, we know almost 500 this year have died, and there are many more that are not being reported. The Biden administration is complicit in each one of these deaths. They encourage people to come here to cross the border illegally, and this is part of what happens when people do. The Biden administration is complicit in each and every one of these deaths, period. Telephones, let's go to Chris and Catskills. How are you? Thank you for waiting, Chris. Hey, Bo. Well, I can deconstruct the Pat Ryan victory over Mark Molinero and why it happened. Uh, I know Pat actually 
the people that he has behind him uh, are more campaign operatives with experience. His right-hand man actually was helped Zephyr Teachout run two campaigns. And what I'll say is, you're when you're help you when you're a campaign operative, a campaign manager, you're only as good as your clients. And Pat Ryan's a lot better of a politician than Zephyr Teachout. Uh, so, but. Pat Ryan uh, won the debate uh, two, three weeks ago. Mark got rattled by uh, some questions that the moderator asked him with the Kingston Freeman. And I saw some energy, you know, two, three months ago, I was predicting that Mark was going to win. But the last month, I definitely saw a big time shift and his campaign put out a push. They did an internal poll. You were talking about polls before. That was three points for Molinero. So that's well, you know what? In there. Look, I appreciate the analysis. I've got so many people waiting here in so little time, I'm going to have to cut you short. I'm sorry. Appreciate that brilliant analysis from you, though. An election, and we can continue to talk about these the elections for the rest of this week, and if you want, on the Saturday show as well. So I appreciate that, Chris, very, very much. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, in Nutley, New Jersey, thank you for waiting. What's on your mind this afternoon? Hi, James. He wasn't such a bad wait. And listening to the music and you is fantastic. Anyway, uh, Joe Biden wants to give $10,000 worth of college tuition uh, relieved for these kids, making under $125,000. How many kids are coming out of college making 125000 He's basically going to give it to every child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the plan. $300 billion. That's your bill. $300 billion on top of the trillions that they're spending, on top of the trush, the, 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 uh, the slush funds that they just signed up with with this last budget that was approved by the Democrats only, on top of the slush fund spending that they uh, voted for in the infrastructure package, which has very little infrastructure in it. These people are buying votes. They are throwing money at Democrat constituent bases. That's all they're doing. Billions of dollars in handouts to their electorate. That's, Lisa, exactly what they're doing. Thank you so much for the call. John, Staten Island, welcome. How are you? Hey, Bo. In regards to the elections, I, this week, I hope maybe you start every week now until election, get Joe Pena, who's running against Schumer. Uh, and my other comment was in regards to— Okay, let me address this, because I've had a lot of people calling and telling me to get have Joe Pena on. Look, it is not my job, and I say this with all due respect, it is not my job to campaign for people. People have to be in the news for me to have them on or do something newsworthy. That's how I base it. Number one, in the primary season, I don't do it at all. I, don't, I try not to have, uh, because there, then you get into equal time issues. If I have one person on that I happen to think has a good shot, but I don't put the other person on, well, you know, it's, it's not fair, and you do equal time. But in the other standpoint on, if you're going to run against somebody like Schumer, you have to demonstrate that you have a chance at winning. Now, I know that Joe is a good guy. I've heard people talk about him. I've read up on him. This guy is the real deal in terms of being a great guy. But you have to demonstrate that you can win. You have to demonstrate that you have a great campaign going, a credible campaign, that you're out raising money, that you're out making headlines. And that's not my job to do that for a candidate. That's the candidate's job to do it. And when the candidate does that, then he'll have not just me, but everybody reaching out. 
to have him as part of the show. So I hear you, but I just want to explain to people why in some cases they don't hear certain candidates on the show, because that's not what I do. I'm not the come put your candidate on show. That's not what I do here. So I appreciate the call, though, John, very, very much. Tony in Bergen County, New Jersey, how are you? Well, thanks a lot for taking my call. I'd just like to make a quick point uh, about immigration. Um, we have all these people, and so far they've estimated 4 million crossing the, uh, the border down south. Uh, New Jersey is in drought. Uh, they're in drought warnings right now. And if you look it up, an average person uses between 85 to 95 gallons of water per day. So if you take them 4 million people times 80 to 95 gallons of water per day, and they're using our water, I mean, granted, I know everybody needs the water, but we're talking crops. We're talking animals. We're talking our food. We're talking everything, you know, that. that Resources are finite things. Tony, what you're saying is that resources are finite things, and we need to be mindful of that when we welcome record numbers of illegal immigrants in this country. Great point. We're back tomorrow for Bolt Snurders Rush Hour Thursday edition. Cats at Night, up next. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Bye. Perhaps I'm not nice, but I'm doing a great job for you.